we're going to be starting a brand new series of, we'll be going through for the next five weeks. The series is called One Hit Wonders. And uh, a one hit wonder is uh, a song that just gets popular by an obscure group or band and really uh, it's the only song they're ever good at, right? Uh, so one of the one of the most known one-hit wonders is uh, at the top of the one-hit wonders chart is the song Macarena. You remember this song? Remember the dance? You know, I don't remember it, but I just, I remember it. It was something like that, okay? Uh, but it was a one-hit, and I, I can't even tell you what group sang the Macarena, and that's typical of a one-hit wonder. No one really knows who they are, uh, but they, were, they did this one thing, and it was, and it was like, it was good. And then uh, someone probably bought the album, listened to the rest of it, and realized it's not good. <laughs> and so that's why it's a one-hit wonder. Well, uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to be going through one-hit wonders of the Bible. And in that, we're going to be, I'm going to be teaching from the five books of the Bible that only have one chapter. There are five books of the Bible that only have a single chapter. And right now you're probably thinking, well, what could it be? And, uh, and so the five books of the Bible with one chapter we'll be going through. The first, today we're going to talk about Obadiah. Obadiah. And you're like, he's lying. There is no Obadiah. There's an Obadiah. And so if you have your Bibles with me, turn to the book of Obadiah without using your table of contents. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the book of Obadiah. If you are, if, you're, if you want to look, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen, but if you want to look in a physical Bible, you can grab the orange Bible in the seat in front of you. Um, and I tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to grab that orange Bible. I want you to write your name in it. It is a gift to you from New Life Church. We believe that the Word of God is foundational to our faith. And so if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours. Take it home today. Write your name in it. But the book of Obadiah, if you are in the orange Bible, it is page 631. If you're in your own Bible, you're also on your own. Okay, so uh, it, book of Obadiah follows uh, the book of Joel, and then Amos, and then Obadiah. It is a single chapter, which means it's also the shortest book of the Old Testament. Now, Obadiah, uh, kind of, it seems fitting uh, for the, f- the sake that we're calling this a one-hit wonder. It's fitting because we don't really know who Obadiah is, <laughs> We don't really know. We know that there is about a dozen Obadiahs in the Old Testament. Some scholars think he could be one of them, or he could be an additional Obadiah. But based upon his writings, he doesn't really kind of give us any hint as to who he is, um, but he is a prophet. And the book of Obadiah is a prophecy uh, and full of poetry. So it's a book of prophecy, and what is unique about Obadiah to other books of prophecy in the Bible is that most other prophecy books of the Bible are prophesying to Israel or of the Hebrew people. But Obadiah, it is a prophecy to a different nation other than Israel. It is prophesying to Edom which is a neighboring nation to Israel. And it is a prophecy of judgment against Edom. Edom is a nation located just on the other side of the Dead Sea. 
It is the neighboring nation to Israel to the southeast. And, uh, and so this, the, the poems of this prophecy are directed uh, as judgment against the nation of Edom. Edom is also unique to the Israelites, to the nation of Israel, because Edom and Israel actually share common ancestry in that their father is Abraham. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? And so God had, remember, this whole story throughout Scripture is God establishing a covenant with people that, that would kind of like pave the way for the one, one day to come, the coming of Christ. So God makes a promise to Abraham, and then we all know, you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and the promise kind of follows his, his family line. And so, um, so in Genesis 25, we, we read the story um, where, so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a wife named Rebekah, and she is childless. And uh, so Isaac prays. She becomes pregnant with twins. And the twins are wrestling inside of her womb, and like almost every uh, woman pregnant with twins that I've ever known says something like this to the Lord. Why is this happening to me? <laughs> and that was Rebecca's response to the Lord. These twins are wrestling in her womb, and she says, oh God, why is this happening to me? And, uh, and the Lord said to her that there are two nations in your womb. Two nations. And there are two peoples from within you that will separate. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So on the day that these twin boys are born, the firstborn comes out and he's looking red, and he's looking hairy. It says he was hairy all over his body, this little baby. And so they named this, the firstborn, Esau. And Esau means hairy. <laughs> Imagine if we named kids that way today, you know. Uh, wow, he came out purple. <laughs> His name is eggplant. I don't know how it works. <laughs> Let's try to think of something purple. Well, then the second boy is born clinging to the heel of the firstborn, the red hairy one named Esau. And they named him Jacob because Jacob means to cling or the heel, or it also means deceiver, um, the Hebrew name. If your name's Jacob, it uh, doesn't mean that you're a liar or anything like that, so uh, don't do that to me. So we have Esau and his brother Jacob. Now Esau, as he grows and matures, Esau loves to hunt. So Esau, he's hanging out with Larry Conkus a lot. You know, they're, they're going, they're, they're hunting bear. And, uh, and, and his father Jacob, his father Isaac, sorry, his father Isaac has a taste for, for game, for, for meat. So, so Isaac loves his son Esau, the hunter. But Jacob, it says, Jacob likes to hang out in the tents. In other words, Jacob loves to do things around the house. And so his mother, Rebecca, she loves Jacob. Well, one day, Esau, he comes in from hunting. And the Bible says he is famished. He's hungry He's hangry. 
He's starving. And there's his brother, Jacob. Wouldn't you know it? He's cooking a big old pot of stew. And uh, Esau says, give me some of that red stew. And he says, like a good brother. No. (laughs) And so they end up making a deal that Jacob would give him a bowl of red stew if Esau would give him his birthright as the firstborn. And as the firstborn, then he, Jacob's saying, then I get the blessings of our dad, and, and so on and so forth. And, and so Esau, in his poor judgment, um, don't make important decisions when you're hungry, apparently, um, he sells his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Time goes by, and their father, Isaac, is on his deathbed to, to pass any day. And Rebecca, who loves her son Jacob, she says, hey, before your father passes, you need to get him to lay his hands on you and give you the blessing. Remember the blessing that he got from his brother for a bowl of red stew. And so, uh, funny enough, they put goat's fur on him to make him hairy, which makes you think, just how hairy was Esau? Um, And he goes in with, with, with goat hair and smelling like his brother and and, and his father, who's Isaac, who's dying, he, he can't see well. And he says, you, you smell like Esau, and you, you, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And he deceives his father in giving him the firstborn blessing. Well, Esau finds out what happens, and Esau is ticked. And so Esau says, when everybody's done mourning the loss of my father, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Well, his mother, Rebecca, heard this, and she loves Jacob. So she tells Jacob, you have, to, you have to run. And so Jacob ends up running away and escaping Esau. And thus begins a feud between Jacob and Esau. And remember what the Lord said to Rebecca when she was pregnant with those twins and said, why me? He said, there are two nations in your womb, and they will separate and the older will serve the younger. And the younger gets the birthright, and now they're separated. But the Lord said that they would both become two nations. And the, the book of Obadiah is a prophecy about the nation Edom. And it's a, it's a prophecy of judgment against Edom for their mistreatment of the nation Israel. And back then, nations grew to become nations because families grew so large. And um, so we have the nation Israel and the nation Edom, but it's all connected to these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Well, you see, once upon a time, Jacob actually had an encounter with God where he wrestled with God, demanded that God bless him. And when God touched him, He didn't say this, but we are going to say, happy birthday to you. Come on, come on, Aiden Joel, come on. Happy birthday. Our online audience is not going to know what to do with this. Happy, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Aiden and Joel, stand up, stand up, stand up. Happy birthday to you. All right. 14 years old, man, it looks good. I'm honored, so honored that I get to be the only one in this world that gets to be their dad. It's awesome. So Jacob 
wrestles with God and demands a blessing. And, and he, he says, I'm not going to let go of you. And, and so this angel of the Lord touches him in the hip, blows his hip out of his socket. And then he walks with a limp the rest of his life. But also, he says, you will not be called Jacob anymore. You will be called Israel. And so Jacob ends up becoming the nation of Israel. Well, Esau, we read in Genesis, his name one day is changed, and, and he is called uh, Esau, known as Edom. And now Obadiah is writing this prophecy of judgment against the nation of Edom for their mistreatment to the nation Israel. But it all goes back to these young men, one that deceived the other and experienced hurt and pain and became, both became great nations. And for centuries, these two nations would, be, would have tension with each other. Even though in Genesis 34-ish, Jacob and Esau do finally kind of reconcile, the tension of past family hurt can last generations. And that is the situation that they're in. Now, the nation of Israel, God's holy people, uh, there were five times that the nation of Israel was invaded by other, country, by other nations. Um, most scholars believe that when Obadiah is writing about uh, th this prophecy, it is during a time that Israel has been in invaded once again, overthrown, ransacked. And most scholars believe that Obadiah is writing about the fifth time that Israel was invaded by Babylon. And this is when a lot of the Israelite people were sent into exile with the Babylonians. You see, this was a military siege by King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar sends his armies into Israel, and, and there, was a, it was a, there was a slaughter, a plundering of their, of their goods, and an exile of the Israelite people into, essentially into slavery. And in this time where Israel is down and out, there's Edom, their neighboring nation, that have long had connectivity with Israel by their father Abraham. In other words, they, have, they, they are family, but there's tension. And Israel is down and out, being invaded by Babylon. And you would hope to believe that a nation that is literally a brother to nation would come to their aid. But instead, the nation of Edom decides to kick Israel while they're down. You see, they believed that they were so high and mighty that nobody could overthrow them. Babylon wasn't going to overthrow them. And so Edom chooses to go and plunder other Israelite cities while they are being invaded by Babylon. And then they also are capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. This is despicable in the eyes of God. Brother against brother, family kicking someone else while they're down. But, but why, Edom was not afraid of Babylon, and we'll find out a little bit of why. So if you're in Obadiah, we're going to be in Obadiah chapter 1. 
There is only one. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, that this, this is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us, go, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. This is God's judgment against Edom. I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. Listen to what he says. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Because that is what pride does. It is deceptive in nature. Listen to this. It says, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? But though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down declares the Lord. Edom thought that they were above everybody else, both literally and figuratively. If you notice the things that the Lord said, he said that you make your home in the clefts of the rocks, you make your home in the heights, you soar like eagles in the stars. All this, this speech about them being elevated because the one, the capital city of Edom was built high upon a rock and was said to easily be defended. So if you wanted to take capital city of Edom, you were, you were going to have a very difficult time because they, were, they built this city up high on a rock and nobody could take the city because they had the high ground. They literally had the high ground geographically, but they also had a different kind of height, which was a heightened pride in themselves, that they believed that they were seemingly untouchable because of where, their location, their resources, and they became prideful, deceived by their pride. In other words, what Edom said was, who can bring us down? And God says, I will. You see, that is the danger of pride. Pride says, who can bring me down? But the real consequence of pride is that God is there to say, I will. Because if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. But if you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you. But the choice is yours. So Edom had a major pride problem. They thought of themselves as higher, as untouchable, this was uh, despicable to the Lord. So the book of Obadiah, it first illustrates for us that the Lord despises prideful people. The Lord despises prideful people. We see this time and time again throughout Scripture, how the sin of pride is so incredibly destructive. You see, pride is the first attitude of independence from God. I don't need you. I built my capital city high on a rock. Nobody can bring me down, and God says, I will. Watch me. Pride is that first attitude of, 
I don't need God because I'm actually, I'm pretty good at this. And the danger is, in the giftings that maybe God has given your life, should you ever become comfortable in what he's called you to do and say, you know what? I don't have to seek God as much as I used to. I kind of got it figured out now. Or maybe at work, you, you, you become so confident in, in your abilities and in, in, in your, in your, uh, your leadership that you no longer listen to anybody around you. You don't, you don't welcome feedback because I've been doing this for so long and you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. You see, the sin that caused Lucifer, Satan himself, to be cast out of heaven was the sin of pride. Of, it was a, an attitude of, I don't need God because I'm pretty darn good. Actually, I think I could be God. I could do a better job than him. I think my boss is a real loser. I could do a better job. You, could, you really should parent better, spouse, because honestly, I would do it better. I don't know why you come home complaining all the time, because I'm better. My company, they have no idea what they're doing. If I, if I ran things around here, things would go a lot smoother. Oh, this pastor, he, he, just, he just doesn't have it. And I think he really should do the things I think he should do. You see, pride. I don't need God. I know it. And this was the sin of Lucifer that had got him cast out of heaven. And God created a little special place for that prideful little punk. A little place that God never seeks for any, any one of us to dwell in for eternity. So much so that God says to humanity, go to hell over my dead body. And he sent his son. But that is... Lucifer's future, but it all was rooted in pride. It's deceptive. It's destructive. Pride is a condition of the heart that says, I will not be ruled by anybody but myself. I will not even be ruled by God. And yet one of the commandments of the church of Satan is to thine own self be true. Pride. I won't be ruled by anybody. Pride. Not even by God. Pride is a lot like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it, except you. Tell me, come on, tell me I'm telling the truth. Some people can really allow the darkness of pride to grow in them so much that they don't recognize their own pride because you've lost the humility to even have the thought, could I be seeing this wrong? You've lost the ability to allow people to give feedback to you. Sometimes feedback stings. But we need honest feedback from loving people to help us grow and see our blind spots. I've said it before, but when I talk about pride, I'll say it again. Pride blinds you of your weaknesses. And it also blinds you to the strengths of others. So you never see where people are more gifted than you and you need them in your life. 
and you never see your weaknesses that you need the people that are more gifted in that particular area. Pride is deceptive and it's destructive. Listen to some of the things. I'm going to give you a fraction of what the Bible says about pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes what? Wisdom. Yeah. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord, watch this, detests, detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Like, uh, I always remembered the things that really my father detests and uh, would not go unpunished. And uh, I was sure to stay far, far away from those things. Uh, one of those things was talking back. You didn't want to do that. Um, I remember my dad uh, welcomed me into the bathroom where he took my toothbrush. He pumped hand soap on my toothbrush, and he said, open up. Scrubbed my mouth out with soap. He said, you'll never use that word to me ever again. I'm like, you're right. You were right about that. That was not fun. Uh, I don't know why, but another thing was uh, having my knee, having my knee up above the, the table. He, that was improper to him, and a couple smacks with a spoon on my knee, and I realized I don't want to do this anymore. But the Lord says there is something that the Lord detests. And, when, and uh, actually in Proverbs, it talks about the seven things that are detestable to the Lord. The first one is pride. And here it says, the Lord detests all proud in heart. Be sure of this, it will not go unpunished. The Lord is telling us, he's, he's given us a big clue. Pride is a no-go. And it must be dealt with severely in our lives. In Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If you want something from the New Testament, well, Matthew 23, 12 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So to exalt yourself is ultimately humiliating. But if you humble yourself, the Lord will exalt you. And when he does, you won't need the accolades anyway. The Lord detests prideful people. And many times, the the church has had a label of being full of prideful people. Well, I know better, and we, we cast judgment on others. And, and honestly, it, it's, it's the greatest cheap shot unbelievers have of the church. It's just to, just to call the church judgmental people. And, uh, and it's also not without its own credibility, because surely there have been many religious people over the years that have been quite judgmental and prideful. People are skeptical of pastors because pastors that have allowed pride into their hearts that lord it over the people of the church and really make kind of shift it from serving God to serving man. And we have to keep those things in check by allowing people in our lives to hold us accountable and, and never, never dismissing when people come to you with feedback but prayerfully considering it. I will tell you, one thing I have learned is there's a big difference between feedback and criticism. But you first have to be able to hear it and discern it and allow the Spirit to move on you. And also it's important to have people that you trust in your life that can give you 
hard news and they know how to give it to you in a palatable way where it won't be so distasteful in your mouth. And if you're married, that person in your life should be, one of those people should be your spouse. And I rely on Jenny to give me honest feedback in a way that I know I will receive it and vice versa. The Lord despises prideful people. But if you don't know how, if you don't know you have it, then how do you know you have it? Well, that's why you have to have people in your life that you can be honest with and they can be honest with you. And some people say, I want you to be honest with me. And I've also learned, I don't think they mean it. <laughs> so, I, so I say, okay, if you want me to be honest with you, I will commit to you that I will be honest. But I ask for you to also commit to me. They said, with what? I want you to commit to me that you will not be upset or offended when I have to be honest with you. But my commitment is when I'm honest, I promise to be gentle, but I will also be serious. The Lord despises prideful people. What is your plan to keep pride from your heart? It's detestable to the Lord. The second thing the Lord makes clear is that there are consequences for prideful people. Because after all, if pride is, I don't need God ruling my life, well, there is consequences to not having the creator of the universe on your side. And ultimately, you will experience the consequences of your own choices. Obadiah 1.15, it shifts here in the scripture. It says, the day of the Lord is near, watch this, for all nations. So Obadiah shifts from all this prophecy of judgment against Edom, the nation of Edom. And he shifts and he says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. In other words, for all people. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Interesting. So here's that shift of all nations. All nations, excuse me. People that act, in other words, people that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way as Edom. In other words, Edom is an example of the pride and brokenness of all humanity. And the day of the Lord is coming for all people. And it did. And it also will. So Edom, this, the book of Obadiah, judgment against Edom, is really a prophecy for all humanity. You know, not all of the Bible was written for you, was written to you, but it was all written for you. And so Edom is an example, it's an illustration of all humanity. And actually what's very interesting is that the word Edom in Hebrew has the exact same letters as the word in Hebrew for human. We have Edom and Adam. Adam is a Hebrew word for human. You might recognize that word as Adam, like the first man. So Edom and Adam, you hear the, you hear the similarity. They're spelled with the exact same letters. And therefore, this serves for us as an incredible example that it's not, this is not just about Edom, it's about Adam. 
It's about the pridefulness and brokenness of all humanity. Because the day of the Lord is near, not for Adam, but for all humanity. So the Old Testament portrays the day of the Lord as punishment through overlapping images of war and sacrifice. It highlights the day as renewal by emphasizing how on the day of of the Lord, God's presence will rest on his people in the midst of the reign of the line of David. Then the New Testament identifies for us that Christ Jesus is the one who fulfills the ultimate day of the Lord in his first coming through his death, burial, and resurrection, but also signifies that there will be a day of the Lord in his second coming as well, which is still in the future, and will also come with war and sacrifice. As the warrior, God will enter into space and time to punish his enemy and to restitute right order wherein he is exalted over all. So the day of the Lord has come in Jesus' first coming. And it was a day of great reckoning when God reconciled the world to himself through the sacrifice of his son. And the day of the Lord is coming still in his second coming. And so the book of Joel and Amos, the two books of prophecy prior to Obadiah, both speak of the day of the Lord. In the book of Joel, it it talks about what will, will come after the day of the Lord. And so the first thing that we need to know is that there is great hope for Adam. There's great hope for humanity. Although God brought this judgment to Edom, but really it's a a judgment for all prideful nations, all prideful people, all destructive people. There's also great hope because there's that shift where it says, but the day of the Lord is near for all nations. And in Joel chapter 2, this is Joel chapter 2 verse 28 says, and afterward, After what? Afterward means after the day of the Lord. After the day of the Lord, this is what God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. I will pour my spirit out on not just Edom because they need it, but Adam because you all need it. He goes on to say, and and young men will prophesy, and old men will dream dreams. But then in the 32nd verse, this is what it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Obadiah's judgment against the nation of Edom, God's judgment is never his final word. Jesus is. And there is hope for humanity. Worshiping, you guys can come up and get prepared to close this out with me. Listen to how it ends. It's not on the screen, but Obadiah chapter 1, the final two verses, it says, 
this company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sephrod uh, will possess the towns of Negev. Deliverers will go up to Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And watch this. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. In other words, God's people may be in exile right now, but they are about to rule the earth. And the kingdom is the Lord's. There's great hope for humanity. So the ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom is an example of the greater human condition that exists in all of us. And it, it, it represents an example of all the ways that we have betrayed both God and each other. But there's hope. And Obadiah says, Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all nations, the day of the Lord. And God chose to deal with the evil of our world ever so severely. Our pride, our destructive habits caused this great separation between us and God. This pride that said, I don't need God. I've got this. And God chose to deal with this evil very severely. But not as though you would think. He chose to give everything he had, his own son. And Jesus came. He lived the perfect life you and I never will. But then he died the death we deserved. Therefore, dealing with the price it takes to forgive our deficiencies and giving us the grace to walk a brand new life. And now the day of the Lord is a day that is celebrated by believers of Christ, but will be a day of great reckoning for unbelievers. But there's hope for humanity. For the prophecy of Joel says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you stand with me this morning? Obadiah is such a tiny little book, but it deals with so many things that plague God's people, plague leaders, plague parents, plague spouses, plague employees, plague business owners. It's pride. It's pride. I pray that today, here in this moment, we're going to sing one last song. And as, as we worship, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help identify anywhere in us where pride exists. And then all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Obadiah, really, it also tells us of this great story of two family members that had a feud that led to centuries of tension. 
But yet the day of the Lord came for all nations and healing and restoration. Man, there's just no hurt like family hurt sometimes. But all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe for you, there's family history lingering over your life. And maybe pride has gotten in the way of that, but you must forgive. You must forgive and experience his healing today. Holy Spirit, I just ask that even now, as we prepare to just worship one last time, that you would make us aware of our deficiencies, areas where we've been prideful. And God, we thank you that this great divide that we have caused between you and and us by our own destructive ways, that you came to bridge the gap that we could be rescued and saved. Would you deal with us, Lord? That we would humble ourselves in the way that you provided for our salvation was you humbled yourself to the cross. I think we can humble ourselves to one another and humble ourselves before you. So as we sing, would you just humble yourself before the Lord Almighty and become dependent upon him again? Let's sing together and humble ourselves before him. God, show us anywhere where pride exists. Eradicate it from our hearts.